morning everyone. Yes, uh, great to see you. Uh, if I'm sounding a bit coldy, it's because I am a bit coldy, but it is just a bit coldy. I did a, a, I did a PCR test, test just to make extra sure and I was negative, so um, I am near the end of it. But if I stop to have a drink, that's why. It's not, not coffee, it's honey and lemon, so I'm, I'm being good. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness and goodness to us through this series. Thank you for all that you've shown us of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for how you have worked in us in increasingly giving us the same mind, the mind of Christ. And pray that this morning as we finish our series in Philippians, but Lord, would we not drift in, but would you teach us great things even from these final verses. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, did you see this on the news last weekend? It's kind of stuff of, like, quite exciting, isn't it? So uh, an armoured money truck in America kind of basically just started spitting money out the top, and it was kind of raining money, literally money raining down from the sky. Uh, I wonder what your, if you did see that, or your, your thought now, if you, you saw that. What, what was your reaction? Mine was, I wish I was there. <laughs> yeah, you want to be there. And apparently it caused chaos, as obviously everyone stopped their cars and was kind of grabbing like this lady here. And I wonder what your reaction would have been, though, later, if you were there, and the police came and said, look, please, can you return the money? Uh, maybe you'd be like, not on your life, I'm gone. Uh, maybe you'd be very honest and good and you'd return it all, or maybe the cheeky ones, you know, return a couple of hundred and keep a couple of thousand. Don't know, money, it's a, it's a big topic, a uh, big topic of the Bible. It's quite often an uncomfortable topic to talk about. I feel that uh, as I'm standing before you now going to talk about money. But the Bible is really clear that money... How we view it and how we use it is a really good indicator of our hearts. It reveals what our our hearts are like. And that is the topic of this final section in Philippians, as Paul really finally gets to the reason that caused the writing of this letter. Have a look um, down at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. And then um, you see verse 18. What what was this concern? What would that look like? Well, verse 18, uh, I've received the full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. The Philippian church through Epaphroditus had sent money to sustain Paul in prison. But Paul never misses an opportunity to teach. Okay, this is, as it were, a kind of thank you letter of, of sorts. But he doesn't just say that. He, he uses this as an opportunity to teach them. And the lessons are about money. And so you see the heading from your, your talk. It's, it's money matters. It's all about money. But of course money matters. It's important. And so here Paul encourages the Philippians towards finding genuine contentment. And then he encourages them in the partnership of giving. And that's reflected on our, our two points that we'll be looking at this morning. First off, learn to be content. Paul, in verse 10, speaks of his joy at receiving that gift. Uh, and do you see that? Um, he says, at last you've... Uh, I've addressed in Lord's um, that at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul is not saying, hey, at last you finally coughed up the money. 
He makes a point clear, doesn't he, um, in the second half of verse 10, that you were indeed concerned about me, but you had no opportunity, no opportunity to show it. So the Philippian church, right from their formation through to the, this, that moment, were concerned about Paul. And they had been giving, and now after some gap, they've now had this opportunity to send money again. But Paul wants them to be really clear that his joy at receiving the gift isn't that he can now afford the latest Roman sandals fashion or that he can get the latest sundial or whatever it might be. It's not even a joy that he's going to have food to eat. Right? In those days, the, the prison services weren't funded by the state. Okay, so if you were in prison and you had no money, you didn't eat. You had to provide your own food. But his joy wasn't even in, in that for himself. His joy was because of what it showed about the Philippians' hearts. And the way he shows this is by talking about his contentment. That's the, the theme of, of really verses 10 to 13, Paul's contentment. Jeremiah Burroughs, a, a Puritan um, a minister, he wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I recommend it. This is his definition of contentment. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise, fatherly disposal in every situation. Not the punchiest. Let me read it again, but it's, it's helpful. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise, fatherly disposal in every situation. That that inner peace that trusts God, whatever the circumstance. See how Paul describes it in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. What does that mean? Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's saying, look, whether I'm in a nice, kind of comfy bed in Lydia's house, with a yeah, nice, wealthy house, person's house, as, and doing mission there, or whether I'm in prison, I'm content. Whether I'm out in the, the, the kind of open preaching to thousands or whether I'm preaching to two prison guards who I'm chained to I am content whatever poor situation he says he's content that is truly remarkable that kind, this kind of contentment is not normal not common and in fact did you see how he described it he says look I've learned the secret of being content this isn't something that's popular it's well known and you see also that it was learned that this contentment didn't just pop into his heart at the moment of conversion this was something that over time developed he learnt this contentment and that I think gives me certainly real hope and maybe gives you hope if you struggle with contentment so that actually the Apostle Paul learned this contentment but how does it come? How did Paul get to this point of being content, whether he had plenty or whether he had little, whether he was free and roaming and preaching to thousands or in prison? How did he get there? 
for contentment was a popular topic uh, in those days. It was that the Greek philosophers, it was one of their, their big ideas, this idea of contentment. Um, you might have heard of the Stoics. This is, um, these are the kind of people who would love to talk about contentment. And they said, the Stoic kind of philosophy said that contentment was reached with a radical independence, a radical self-sufficiency. So they're kind of thinking, well, look, whatever I do or don't have, it doesn't affect my contentment because my contentment comes from within. And so I can kind of separate me from, from anything else. But no. Paul said his contentment didn't come from self-sufficiency. It came through Christ-sufficiency. An empowering and radical dependence, not independence. So see verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I have absolutely no evidence for this whatsoever. Now, I've got my slides in the wrong order, so ignore that one for a second. Okay, I'll, come, I'll come back to that. Can you come to the... the, the uh, there we go. The, basically, the tattoo. Oh, have I not got it there? Is there a tattoo? Yeah, thank you. Anyway, I have no evidence for this whatsoever, no statistics to back this up, but I am pretty sure that Philippians 4.13 is the most tattooed Bible verse there is. I think it's the most common uh, that is there. It, the amount of sports people who kind of have it across their chest, or I thought I had a picture of a bicep with, with this written across there. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But when Paul says, look, I can do all things, he doesn't mean that he can suddenly run the 100 metres in less than 10 seconds. He doesn't mean that he can suddenly deadlift 500 kilograms. He doesn't mean that he can knock out the baddest boxer around. When Paul says, I can do all things, he means I can live in poverty and be content. When Paul says, I can do all things, he means I can live in comfort and yet not strive endlessly for more. That is not quite so exciting. But it is, I want to suggest, more exceptional. Now We live in a world, don't we, that actively encourages us to not be content. This is the whole basis, the whole underpinning of marketing, of advertising. That whole kind of um, sphere of world is to say, look... It's to paint this picture and let's say you haven't got this, you haven't got the same situation and, and you're missing out. If only you had this, well, well then you'd be content. And so and, you know, I imagine you know the feeling. You know, if, I feel if only if I had that pair of shoes, if only I had that computer game, if only I had that car, that bit of tech, if only I had that, then I would be content. But then, again, I'm sure you know this feeling of perhaps you, you get there, you get it. And then, of course, there's something else. There's something else. Uh, the, oh, hey, there we go. Anyway, most tattooed verse, I reckon. Maybe, maybe not. Verse 13, the, the emphasis isn't on the first half of the verse. It's not, I can do all things. Through him he strengthens me. The emphasis is on the second half. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is confident that he is divinely strengthened to do anything and everything that God calls him to do. 
to live in any and every circumstance and yet be content. Initially, we, we may think and we may consider that actually it's, it's harder to be content in times of little, if, in times of poverty. If we d- didn't have much, well, then it would be hard to be content in that. And that does indeed bring some real challenges, perhaps particularly living where we do, if that's you, and surrounded by, by so many people who have so much. But I wonder actually whether times of plenty is harder to be content in. John Calvin, uh, the, um, the great theologian, he, he, said, he said this, and I think this is true. He who knows how to present abundance soberly and temperately with thanksgiving, prepared to part with everything whatever it may please, whenever it may please the Lord, giving also a share to his brother according to his ability. This is an excellent and rare virtue and much greater than the endurance of poverty. You get that to... to have abundance, have great wants, and yet be prepared to part with that if God was to so choose. And so to not be striving for more, he says that's rare virtue and harder than enduring poverty. The fact is that so many of us have so much, and that is often what causes contentment to be so hard. Uh, but this is the, the incredible thing I think we see of Paul's contentment is being content with very little is, is a real challenge it's really hard being content with, with a lot is a real challenge it's really, real hard but do you see Paul experienced both of them and to experience both of them and still be content well that is truly r- remarkable well how do we get this contentment then? How is it that Paul got this contentment? Well, I think the key thing is this. Appreciate what we've got. Appreciate what we've got. And now what I don't mean by this is kind of appreciate the clothes that I have and the food that I have and the house that I have and all of those things. That, that could be part of it. But I think it's bigger than that. When I'm saying appreciate what we have, it's appreciate what we have in Jesus. Uh, I have a very bad habit of fiddling with my, my wedding, wedding ring. I kind of sometimes take it off and play with it and put it down. And um, I've only once genuinely thought I'd lost it. I'd taken off when I was working. Um, well, I didn't know what I was doing. But anyway, I'd, I'd taken off some. I knew I'd taken off with my finger. Uh, and I had the mad panic of looking everywhere around my house. Um, I then went down to the church office where I'd popped in very briefly that day, ran down there, couldn't see it anywhere, came back home. I thought, oh, I put the bins out. I went through my bins, okay, looking for this. And I'm, I'm on the kind of fourth time I look under my sofa, I, I kind of bend down to look and I hear a clunk. Now, here's this picture. This is what I sent to Amy when I found it. Anyone spot it? Oh, on my tassel. That's where I put it. I'd had it all along. I'd had it all along, but I didn't know it. And I think the problem is is that we have all that we need to be content. We just sometimes don't see it. We just sometimes don't appreciate it. 
I think there's a parallel here between contentment and joy that we've seen uh, in this book of Philippians. Uh, We've made the point a number of times that if our joy, our happiness is based on our circumstances, well then if our circumstances change, our joy will change. So if my joy is based on my bank balance, if my bank balance is high, I might be joyful. If my bank balance is low, I, I'm, not, I'm going to lose that joy. If my, bank balance, if my joy is found in my health and all that I can do with my body, then when I'm healthy, I'm joyful. When I'm, if I might lose my health, then I'm not. And I think we'd see the same thing with contentment. If our contentment is based on the quality of supermarket that I can afford to shop in, well, when I'm shopping at M&S, I'm content. And when I'm shopping at Tesco, Sainsbury, Asda, whatever, then, I, then I'm, I'm not content. If our contentment is based on the, holi- the summer holiday that I can have each year, well, when I can have a nice summer holiday, I'm content. And when I can't, I'm not. How can we learn to be content? Well, it's to appreciate what we have. It's to find our contentment not in any of our circumstances and the things we have, but in Jesus and all that is ours in him. The fact, and I make no apology for repeating myself again and again, but what we saw in Philippians 2 of Jesus in glory, leaving that behind to humble himself, to die in the place of his people, to bring reconciliation with God and a relationship with him. Jesus has done that. We need to remember and appreciate that. Appreciate that if we're trusting in him, our sins have been forgiven. And that I now have a relationship with God, which is better than anything in the world has to offer. To remember that actually we're looking forward to going to be with Jesus in the future. An incredible and wonderful hope that far outstrips anything that this world could offer. Appreciate what we have. Learn to be content. I think a timely message for our days. Then in verse 14, Paul carries on after his, almost it's almost a digression, but he returns to the topic of their giving. And now we're, we're meant to, to draw the line between contentment in Christ, which is our first point, contentment in Christ. We're meant to draw the line from that to generous giving. So uh, the preacher I saw described it like this. So here, I have a £10 note, the real one. Um, uh, and if I'm uh, not content, what's the word? Discon- uncontent? Discontent? Dis, dis, if I'm discontent, I'm going to grasp onto that and not let it go. Because I need this £10 to try and meet my contentment in whatever that looks like, in clothes, food, shopping, whatever that is. Right? Actually, if I'm content with my situation, I'm not going to hold on to it tightly. I may use it for some of those things, but I am freed up to give it away if I want it, because I'm not having to grab hold of it for myself to meet my own contentment. So secondly, learn, first one, learn to be content. Secondly, partner in giving. I want to be really, really, really clear. If you're a guest this morning, we do not want your money. 
We do not want your money. In fact, in a sense, we almost try and make it as hard as possible for you to give your money. We very rarely talk about it. There's a little box on that windowsill that we haven't mentioned since we've been here. There's a little box that if you want to give your money there, uh, and it has some leaflets uh, if you want to give regularly or online. But in a sense, that's it. And we don't pass a plate round and all of those things. If you're a guest, we do not want your money because the message of Jesus is far... Sorry, because, because of the message of Jesus, we have far more to offer you than you could give to us as the church. And the message of salvation in Jesus cannot be bought with any amount of money. So please do listen in. Don't give, but do listen in. to to hear the impact that Jesus has on his people's lives. If you are a regular, I have zero idea of who gives what. So if I'm looking at you at one point, it's not because I'm like, you're such a generous giver, or you really should be upping your giving. I have no idea. Absolutely none. But in verse 17, Paul himself actually tells the Philippians, look, he's not angling for more money from them. So verse 17, not that I seek the gift. He isn't wanting, he isn't asking them, trying to kind of manipulate them into giving him more money. Now that doesn't mean that if Epaphroditus turned up in a few months, that he'd kick him out the door. But these verses, he he is encouraged them in their giving, but the motivation isn't wanting more for himself. So verse 18, look, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. It's not for himself. We're going to see four things about giving here. Number one is that giving is good for the giver. Number one, giving is good for the giver. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credits. That no doubt about it, Paul would have been more comfortable having received their gift. But Paul wants their, the ongoing support, really, for their good. He wants it for, the, um, how he describes it in verse 17, for the fruit that increases to your credit, to your accounts. Uh, back in um, chapter 1, verse 11, Paul has uh, prayed that they would be filled with the fruits of righteousness. And what part of the fruit of righteousness is, is this generous giving that is seen by God and ultimately rewarded by him at the coming of Jesus. Now again, this isn't buying your way into his favour or buying the way to rewards, but as those who are saved who are trusting in Christ, when they give generously to the work of the gospel, well, God sees that and will ultimately reward that. So number one thing, giving is good for the giver. Number two, giving pleases God. Again, look how how Paul describes their their giving in verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus as a gift you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. See, in the... uh, Old Testaments, um, sacrifices were, were made, real, literal uh, sacrifices. And a couple of times we're told of these sacrifices, perhaps a lamb was taken, killed, and then burnt. And uh, it said like the, the aroma of this was a, um, a fragrant offering, pleasing to God. And it wasn't just because it smelled like a good barbecue. 
This was was because when somebody sacrificed a lamb, it was them taking one of their animals and wholly giving it to God. Okay, they didn't get to kind of benefit from any of that. They're saying, look, you, God, are more important to me than this lamb. And so I'm going to sacrifice it. You see, sacrifices, um, sacrifices, that's why sacrifices please God. And here Paul uses that language to describe giving, financial giving. He says that when you gave me this gift, it was a, a, it was a, a fragrant offering, a, a sacrifice, except one pleasing to God. You see, giving financially shows our hearts. It says, look, God, you are more important to me than this money. And so I'm giving it to you and to your work. And I think that is exciting. Is that the right word? But doesn't that elevate our giving? You know, if you pop your envelope in, in that box, or as the money just comes out of your account each month, it doesn't seem particularly exciting. Nothing kind of happens in a sense rightly. But actually, that is a fragrant offering that God sees, and it, it pleases him. Because it's not, first and foremost, to, to church, it's, it's to God. It's exciting and impressive that it pleases God. So first thing, giving is good for the given. Second thing, um, giving pleases God. Third thing, um, giving is accompanied by a wonderful promise. Just have a look at verse, uh, the end of verse 15. Um, do you see there how, how Paul describes his relationship with the Philippians as, as um, you entered a partnership with giving and receiving? Giving and receiving. And in verse 18, we've seen that, Paul, that they have given to Paul. But Paul is in prison. In what sense is he giving back? Well, what are they receiving from him? Well, they're receiving great teaching. But one of the commentators uh, helped me see here that I think actually Paul sees um, that they are getting the best side of this deal. The giving and receiving. They're giving Paul money, but actually they're going to get the better side of it. So here's the other side, verse 19. See how he starts there. And my God. I think that's deliberate. It's not and God, it's my God. Okay, so you've given to me. I can't give much to you, but my God... Verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What an incredible promise that is. For the Philippians in the face of poverty, and in fact in, in 2 Corinthians um, 8, verses 1 to 5, we, we see the Philippian church and others being talked about there, and they, they gave out of their poverty. In poverty, Paul promises that God will meet their needs. Their needs, not once, but he will meet their needs, physical needs. In the face of opposition that we've seen through this letter, God will meet their spiritual needs. He will give them their joy and peace, the mind of Christ. And both of these things look forward ultimately to, the, to Jesus' return when in him all these things and every single need that we could ever have is fully and finally met in him. Giving is good for the giver. Giving pleases God. Giving, um, excuse me, giving is accompanied by this incredible promise of provision. And fourthly and finally, you might have noticed I skipped over two verses. 
Uh, and the final point here is that Christian giving should be partnership, not charity. Because up until now, we could think, okay, that's fine. Um, Paul is encouraging our giving, and so uh, I, I want to think about my giving. I'm going to go home, I'm going to pray about it, and think about it, and then yeah, I'll kind of look at my bank balance and I'll see what's left, and, and I'll kind of pop, I'll start popping some money in the accounts. That's the kind of attitude of charity, giving to a charity. That is not what Paul is calling his people to here. He is calling them to partnership in giving. So verse 14, let's come back to these two verses I kind of missed. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. That word share is one we've seen a number of times in Philippians, partner. It was kind of you to partner in my trouble. Verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no, which is where the Philippians were, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And verse 16, uh, even in Thessalonica, you sent uh, me help for my needs once and again. You see, Paul here is not just saying, not encouraging to give a bit to bits of charity or to him. No, he is celebrating their partnership in giving. And you see, the difference there is, is in partnership, you are part of the work. It, it's the kind of difference between, um, yeah, you're kind of giving to a charity and being like business partners. You know, you're kind of setting up a new business. And if you're in that and you're, you're going to contribute financially, but you're part of it, right? You're not just saying, here, take my tenor and do what, what you see best with. No, you're involved in it. You're, you're part of the, the process. You want to be uh, praying for it and want, asking and wanting to know what that money is going towards and all those things. And so the giving that Paul is encouraging us lies down to do is not saying, could you all just give a bit more? There you go, have £10 more a month or £100 more a month or whatever it might be that we could give according and generously. But what we see here, Paul is doing is encouraging this partnership. Not just have my cash and I'll see you next Sunday, but being partner in the work of what we're doing here in Lionsdown. And one way that you can partner in the work is by contributing financially to it. But it's not, here it is and I'm out but being part of the work, praying, and all those things. Now, that's true on a kind of local church level, and it was really encouraging to see Julius and the, the work of Relight. That is one way we do that further afield as a, as a church. As a church, we partner with other works locally and occasionally a bit further afield. But it's really exciting to think about. I was going to pick on a name, but sorry, I looked at you, Simon. But Simon, how many, how many students, how many Ghanaian students have you trained up, Simon? None. I'm going to, I'm sorry, embarrass you, but I was just looking at you. None. Simon's not done any. I've not done any. How many Ghanaian students have, have we trained up? You individually? No, person, none. How many Ghanaian students have we as a church helped to partner in training up for faithful service uh, right throughout Ghana? Over 500. It's fantastic. That's partnership. Because we're involved in the process. And again, but but it might kind of perhaps more local level. Look, how many um, mums uh, at Little Lions have you had? Have I had kind of good gospel conversations with uh, one or two over the years? Because I, be- I barely do any, right? But actually, 
You might never go to Little Lions, but if you're giving to the work of the church, you are contributing, you are partnering in that work. Not just, here, have a tenner, but, but being part of, of it. Giving, Paul is encouraging us, us, us in generous giving, in partnership of giving, because giving is good for the giver. Uh, let's see if I can remember them now. Giving is good for the giver. Uh, giving pleases God. G- giving is accompanied by this promise of, um, of uh, being given all that we need. And it's the partnership of giving. I'd encourage you to, to think on those things, to meditate on these things. Maybe you've never given to, to church, which the Bible shows it should be the primary object of our giving. Maybe you've never done it, and today's the time to, to go home, think and pray about it. Don't do it because I told you to, but, but see these things. Pray about it. Think, what could I give? Or maybe if you've been giving, but you just haven't thought about it for a while, perhaps again, today would be a good time to go and, and to stop and to assess and think and pray. Could, could you give more or less, even? Because giving is all about the heart, as we see here. So it's not about numbers, it's about the heart. Paul calls us to contentment in Christ and all that we have in him, and that frees up. You give generously in um, in partnership. Let's pray, and pray that these things will be characteristics of us as a church, like all these wonderful things we've seen of the Philippians too. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much again for your this, this wonderful book. Thank you so much for uh, its great truth. And pray that uh, we as a church would be great more and more, uh, more and more in that pattern of the Philippian church. From these things today, Father, please would you work this contentment in us. Would you help us to appreciate all that we have in Christ that we so, sometimes don't see. But please do make it more and more precious to us. And please, Father, uh, individually and as a, as a church, would we be generous? Would our love for you overflow in generous giving to you and to your work? In Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. Um, we've finished Philippians. Uh, but if you last memory verse, if you're doing them, is, is 4.13. Um, and next week, if, again, if you want to read it, what we're going to do actually over the base over the next month or so, we're going to spend it in John 1 and um, all the kind of Christmas things. Um, so if you want to read it, uh, any couple of verses, but do meditate on those wonderful things. John 1, 1 to 5. Thanks, all.